It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Jillian Bullock. Jillian, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. <laughs> yes, hello. How are you? Mushy, mushy. Uh, yeah, sure. No, I did four years of Japanese at school and don't remember a thing, except a hayagazamas. <laughs> I think that means hello, I think. Well, thank hello, you. Hello, I believe so. Good yeah, morning yeah. or something. Arigato yeah. ohayagazamas. Yeah. <laughs> I've been watching too That's much. That's the one. Seasons. That's the one. <laughs> and it's a massive uh, welcome to the show. You are broadcasting in from which part of the world? In southern Sydney. Southern Sydney, Australia. And no, not too far away. Uh, and uh, it's a it's a real thrill to have you on the show. We we connected uh, earlier this year, right before yeah. the Professional Speaker Australia Conference, which was held in Adelaide. And I had the, the privilege of seeing you present your extraordinary LinkedIn talk. And, uh, and people are probably going, hey, why is he wearing that, uh, that, that karate kid headband? It's because <laughs> we are in the presence of greatness. And uh, as of 2020, as of February 2020, I believe you are the number one ranked LinkedIn ninja gazelle global rock star, global rock star. <laughs> it's called the global rock star list yeah so in in it changes every month um but in february i was ranked number one which was a deliberate ploy um i actually worked on it from her criteria and went i wonder if i can if i can smash a few pegs out because usually i'm hovering around sort of 11 to 40 somewhere in there and i thought oh, let me try and see if i can break the top 10 for the first time and so I followed her criteria and then went, oh, crap, number one, right. Okay, good. <laughs> that worked. So, um, but this month I think I'm back to about 14, so. Oh, boo-hoo. And <laughs> I know. Boo-hoo globally, yeah, 14. Damn it. 500 million LinkedIn users? Uh, 690. What is that? 11, like Joe Rogan's 11. podcast. It goes up like doubles <laughs> every month or something. Is that how many what? listening to your podcast? Wow. That's cool. <laughs> eventually, eventually. Eventually, with, of course. With great guests like you on, the, li- the listenership will go through the roof. So how <laughs> many did you say? 690 million, yeah. 690 million people. So out of 690 million people, which is about double the size of the USA, you are you were ranked number one for a one month, which I think is well, one month, yeah. Yep. And, and for anyone listening uh, that, that doesn't have LinkedIn, can you explain to us in layman's terms a little yes. bit about what LinkedIn and how it works? And what the hell they've been doing for the last 15 years. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. So the revenue generated for LinkedIn is primarily about recruitment. And so that's what it's most 
well known for is like sort of a where you slap up your resume and that sort of stuff. Um, I don't touch that side of it. I'm on the sales and marketing side of it. So I help people generate business and leads through LinkedIn. So COVID's actually been very good for me because everybody is going, trying to go to networking meetings in mornings and all that sort of thing, and it's all stopped. And so they've gone, oh, maybe I should do something about my dormant profile that I haven't touched for 11 years. So um, I guess there's always winners and not so much winners during global pandemics. <laughs> so, mm. Well, why, why is having a, a red-hot LinkedIn profile so important? Um, it is one of the, the top places that people will look to verify somebody's credibility. Um, if they don't think of it directly, when you Google somebody's name or somebody's business, it's usually one of the top three to top five websites that comes up in the search just because it's one of the, the most popular websites in the world, you know, like YouTube and Google and Facebook and those sort of well-known names, Amazon even. Um, LinkedIn is, is ranked usually in the top 10, at least the top 20 websites globally ever so because of that the search criteria and results always direct people to linkedin um, in the last sort of algorithm changes there's um, even your posts and your content is getting ranked through linkedin and just to give you a precise figure 18.1 percent of um, google searches is redirected to linkedin content so it's really 18.1% far out. Yeah. So there's been some algorithm changes or there's always algorithm changes, but one particular one, which is about September ish last year, um, 19, uh, 2019, um, that has been indexing content, which was never done before. So it's um, if you're not on there and not actually utilizing it, then you are missing out on a huge chunk of directed traffic. And especially at this, you know, this climate when people are sort of scoundering, what's the word, scrumming around, scaldering around, scrambling. scrambling, whatever that word is. Um, yeah, they're trying to get new business and, and that's a super easy way. And you can do so much stuff with a basic profile, which means you're not paying for it um, before you start going up to premium subscriptions and so forth. Um, and starting to pay, but there's so much you can do with a basic profile. That, I mean, I know some people that have got up to 100,000 uh, LinkedIn connections on a basic profile. They've never paid at all. So, wow. I mean, I have to pay because I have to teach people <laughs> what, what sales navigator like, and it's like if I'd never been on there, what's I can't exactly teach it, can I? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I don't use that one much myself, but I know my, my way around it inside and out, so... And, and unlike a lot of the other social media platforms, Gillian, like, you know, whether it be um, Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, yep. why is LinkedIn such an important social media platform for people outside of the other reasons? Well, it's, it's, it's really about where the mindset is of the person that comes to a social media platform. So when they're going to, you know, YouTube, most, the most popular videos are usually fun kind of entertaining type videos and so forth like that. Although how-to videos are also very popular now. Uh, uh, when people go to Instagram, it's a lot of retail um, and very visual, um, very visual businesses or looking at the behind the scenes of very visual ways of, of looking at stuff, you know. Like I follow The Rock 
Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> and I saw last night that he's put out the video, which was like a six minute video about his wedding. Um, it's kind of the behind the scenes of the celebrity and the person, um, which of course makes it very popular with your younger celebrity fad girls and all that sort of stuff. Um, when people go on Facebook, the mindset is catching up with family and friends. Um, and if you're in business, you've got to pay to play on that particular um, you know, platform. But on LinkedIn, we're there with a business mindset. It's either careers, jobs, uh, getting leads, talking to your network, all that sort of stuff. So it, it hits on the professional side, either side of people or people that can't be bothered with the other platforms because they are sick of watching cats playing patty cake, um, <laughs> which is one of the most popular videos, which was actually pretty funny. <laughs> it is pretty funny, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. I got sick of it. Yeah, I know. I've watched it a few times and I don't even like cats. Um, although my cats, don't let my cat hear you say that. <laughs> don't hear me say that. She's still here after six years. Well, talking about sort of going in behind the, the the profile and being able to have a look at someone's life, can you yep. tell us a little bit about your background, Gillian? Because LinkedIn sort of, I got involved in recruitment in 2007 and I'm, I think, quite an early adopter to LinkedIn um, from, okay. from that, from that back in Australia at least. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what were you doing in the years leading up to where you are now? Well, I... Um... Both of my parents were self-employed, so that's kind of all I knew. I, I didn't really know, you know, kind of the the trudgery <laughs> that corporate is, um, and so I always knew that I wanted to be self-employed. I just had no idea what that was. Um, I remember going around the careers day at my high school, and they'd put it in the you know indoor auditorium basketball court kind of area. There was about four hundred people sitting around, and you go and sit in front of them and talk about you know, if you wanted to be a doctor, dentist, whatever. And I said to my mum, where's the, where's the career, like self-employment person? And we, we actually asked. Like, yeah, I did. I was like, where are they? Because I want to ask them how to get it started and whatever else. Because my mother bought her way into self-employment and my dad had a sort of similar, similar thing. And I was, I wanted to know how you think of ideas and what business I should be working towards doing. And there wasn't one. So I went, okay, well, let's go. And so we're in there about 10 minutes. <laughs> um, so it was always, even the jobs that I did was going through big corporate to work out how management deal with sort of subordinate staff, um, working in very small businesses, working in franchises. And I kind of went from different positions to suss out how it works, not really to be in the job. Um, and then in 2002, um, as a lot of self-employed people do, they get enough of their boss and think they can do it better uh, with their own arrogance. <laughs> and I went, yep, I can do this better than him. And so I started in consulting because um, I'd done my marketing degrees by then and started in consulting and my last job was in finance. So I sort of picked finance as a niche to go towards. Um, and then that morphed when, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook and that started coming out. And people are going, what's this Facebook thing? And I'm like, ah, never last. Don't worry about it. It's just a fad, you know. Um, but I was just being asked for it more and more and more. So I started going into the, the big four at the time, which was Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and that old chestnut Google+. <laughs> 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 
but yeah, exactly. Um, and so I went into those four, but I I loved LinkedIn straight away. Um, it was probably closest to my training, which was direct marketing. Whereas, you know, you put out on Facebook and you sort of build it and they will come and hope and pray and fingers crossed. Whereas LinkedIn, you go, okay, I want to get in touch with the CEO of Fitness First. Let me look them up and find them and then send them a message. I want to cast another another alternative ending for you, right? Yes. And I see this a lot. I see a lot of people that that want to want to take the plunge into becoming an entrepreneur and never do it. Mm. I see a lot of people that that have the side hustle that you're talking about, and that's all that it ever is. But Nothing. it's only ever the people that 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 jump with both feet in are the mm. ones that seem to get the best result in the longer run. And, yeah. and I'm sure people will be able to find examples where I'm totally wrong, but I don't know that you would have been able to get to the level of success uh, that you've achieved. And I'm not talking about just the financial side of things because for you with the work that you do and mm-hmm. the, the path that you're on, that'll be a natural, beautiful byproduct because you're, you're killing it, right? And maybe maybe you forget that from time to time. Oh, but, sure, I do. Well, you, you can't become number one out of the, the one of the biggest social media platforms on the planet and it's not like being a Facebook master. It's not like doing Facebook ads or anything. Like it's a real, yeah. it's a it's a real niche skill set and a really powerful one. And yeah. and you know, it's that that great Zig Ziglar quote, which I am very becoming famous for quoting now. It's that you can get whatever you want in this life as long as you help enough other people get what they want. And that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Maybe you wouldn't have got there as fast as you have without yeah. just going, fuck it, I'm in. <laughs> I, I'm I'm mostly that kind of person, mostly that kind of person. Like I have a completely ridiculous, irrational fear of sharks. Um, <laughs> really? Probably watching Jaws at, at seven years old um, did that to me stupidly and to the point where uh, it's almost like I can't even go into the water up to my ankles now. It's actually getting worse as I get older. Uh, my honeymoon, I went into my knees and sat. Um, and we're on a freaking island in Fiji, right? So I, <laughs> you're in I, the I pool at the hotel. <laughs> yeah, but practically. <laughs> Although I can't go in a pool by myself because then there's only one person for this magical chlorinated shark <laughs> to get. Because when there's other people, I think to myself, no, no, you know, they're going to get up the other people first and then I'll have time to get out, right? But um, I was a really, really good swimmer at school. And that was because I could v- mentally visualise the sharks chasing me and just behind my feet. So, like, I actually used it and solidified that fear, right? But I've got this thing in my head that if my two boys get to a point in high school and they keep, they feel, I feel like they're going down that run now um, and they're at 12 and 9, that they say that they can't do something, that they're too fearful, I will get in a cage with sharks. I will do that to prove it to them because they they've known they only know me as ridiculous fear, ridiculous. So jumping in head first into a project, it, there is a side of me that does that for sure, um, and I've kind of planned my next one in a way. But I don't I don't want to do it just for the sake of doing it for myself. I'm not that brave but if i need to to do it in front of them i will i'll probably pee myself and stuff but you know (laughs) that's okay you're in a wetsuit 
Which is a very handy shark repellent. (laughs) I don't know. I thought it was an attraction. (laughs) Especially if you've had asparagus. Oh, good Lord. Um, Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, maybe maybe there was no other way of doing it. But, you know, back in the day when I was learning how to do a particular online business, um, I remember sending away for like this whole big folder set with cassettes and you sort of followed along with these, you know, 24 cassettes in this pack and then read through the folders and filled in this stuff. And there was like 10 folders that were inches thick and that was the only way you could get this stuff then. Um, I mean, we're talking internet (laughs) (laughs) dial-up, you know, the old... And and fax machines were the main way of of, um, communicating. There was was discussions, I remember my last job, there was discussions in the head office with should we allow the employees to have their own email address? I mean, what the hell? (laughs) So to know really how to run a business was not that easy to come by. Not that easy. Well, it sounds like you're on the, the right path now and I'm, I'm keen to explore what are some of the the really amazing or helpful tidbits that you've picked up along the way that have been really instrumental in your your business jettisoning off? Um, probably I felt like I had to do it on my own in the beginning. I had to prove myself and I didn't, that, that's very much a message from my mum and my upbringing. Um, so I probably didn't get help, I would easily say, the first eight to ten years. Um, so, like, networking and stuff, never did any of it. Um, you know, coaches and consultants and stuff like that, not unless I had to because I, I always felt like it was going to be, oh, God, I have to spend five grand. That's more money I don't have and... I'm going to have to ask my husband again if I can borrow from the mortgage again. Um, I can imagine that talk, how that talk's going to go. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that would be something I would have changed significantly would be working with others and sort of, you know, we hear it all the time now in a way of, you know, building your tribe around you and that sort of thing. That, that was not, that was not a, communi- a key message communication or anything back when I started. So um, that would be what I'd change completely. Okay, so that that's stuff that you wouldn't do again. What are the things that you're doing now that are that are really just like helping you just dominate? What is, what is niching. working? Niching that that has helped me dominate because when I was doing the four main ones, um, I was approached. I have 14, 14 contractor stroke staff, depending if they were in Sydney based or not, and one of my copywriters was in America and she was friends with the original LinkedIn Ninja over there. And they said she was looking to open her brand past the US and they approached me and said, you know, are you interested in studying the LinkedIn Ninja Black Belt program, which is a year-long program? And I went, yeah, I really like that platform out of all four of them. Yeah, let's do it. And it was sort of a third of the way through that I went, oh, my God, I now realise how much I I now know what I didn't know and I sort of went okay if I I'm not even through this program yet but if that's the level of depth of LinkedIn there's probably that level of depth with the other platforms and so I'm not doing a very good service I mean yeah we were getting results for people but it was kind of 
mediocre, really. It wasn't a phenomenal result by any stretch. And so I decided to just completely get rid of the other three platforms and niche just to LinkedIn. And so as the contracts um, were sort of expired, I just gave them to my consultants. And when they had enough of them or I didn't have any more Twitter work, I was like, there you go. You can go and do all that by yourself now and have all those clients. So I only kept one staff at the end of that that year um, who was my project manager stroke PA um, and then just kept deep diving into LinkedIn. So I would love it if there is some sort of game show out there where you can pit LinkedIn trainers against each other and kind of buzz who knows the answer first because I would dominate it. It's I, every podcast in my phone, except for yours now, by the way, um, which I've listened to two episodes. Oh, um, <laughs> um, just about every podcast in my phone is to do with social media or LinkedIn. Um, that's what I do when I walk my dog. And there, I never, there's barely ever a time where I'm sick of it and want a break. So that, that level of niching is needed. And I would hire somebody with that level of niche with Twitter or with Facebook or whatever. But when I now see that there's a consultant out there that's generalizing and they do all social media and Instagram and Pinterest and I just sit there and go, you can't know much about any of them. You just don't have time. You just don't have time to, to learn the ins and outs to the depth of knowledge that you need for each platform. And then if they do SEO and websites too, I just, I'm just turning the other way completely. It's not, it's not possible. It's not possible. So that would definitely be what I would do again without, without a doubt, without a doubt. Mm. The, the, the timing of this little gold dust or gold nugget rather is really incredible, Julian. I, uh, as, a, as an emerging speaker, trying yeah. as a solopreneur or whatever you want to call it, I am trying to work out how best to to get all of my social media platforms, you know, uniformed and, and manage the release of all these things. And I'm finding it, uh, it's a really, it's an overwhelming prospect. Mm. And because I'm not at that point where I can uh, fund a social media manager or managers, which sounds like you need a few of them for, for different <laughs> issues. Yeah. To 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 manage that, and but I I I like you naturally gravitate towards LinkedIn. I f- I find that it seems like it's probably more credible than the rest, um, for mm-hmm. certainly what I do as a speaker and a yeah, coach, for sure. and and I suppose um, that credibility probably stems from a lot of the you know like you talk about a recruitment um, point of view. Like I would always mm-hmm. get an application for a role that would come through if I was recruiting IT roles. And the first thing I would do would would be punch their name into LinkedIn and to see how much of a uh, closely aligned it was to their resume, yeah. And and have done that probably tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of times, <laughs> in my career. And yeah. and I thought I had a pretty good grasp on LinkedIn, but then we were chatting on the phone the other day, and you were very kind to point out that there was about a hundred million different things that I could improve upon on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Yeah. And and I would normally throw you under the bus and do a, do a screen share and go through it. But given yeah. there's a, a percentage of the audience will be listening to this, maybe what are some, not necessarily with my profile, but like what are some basic things that people can do to really 
like 10x their their current LinkedIn profile to make them come across as way more credible or to actually be as credible as they are in real life um, and to, to get that engagement level up, whether it be finding a job or having a really strong social media presence? Well, I can't really help them with the finding the job bit because that's not my my area. But, you know, if there's other sort of speakers, for example, if we bring it back to you, it's not having it look like a CV and, you know, putting your putting your story there but also putting that the fact that you do do keynotes on this topic and what it's called. And, you know, there might be, you know, maybe you want to work, um, speak at big uh, recruitment summits because of your background in that or something like that. Um, actually speak to that so that when somebody who's organising a recruitment summit comes along, they go, oh, no-brainer. Laban's the, the guy that I need for sure. So it's kind of um, building the profile to speak to the exact people that you want to convert and have them pick up the phone. And if it's if it's a very visual thing, you know, if you're a speaker, then where's your showreel? That always amazes me with speakers. They're like, they've got these showreels on their website, but they don't have it on their LinkedIn profile. They have no photos of them being on stage. I don't know if the biggest stage that they've ever spoken to was 40 people or whether it was 40,000. Um, you know, it's 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 sort of that along those lines. It's it's kind of, it's always when I speak to people, they're like, oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> it's nothing that isn't really, really obvious, except it wasn't to them when they started the profile. Um, so, yeah, making, making sure every bit's filled out. Um, the photo that's on your LinkedIn profile at the top at the moment is not self-explanatory. It's, you know, four people giving themselves a high five, but you can't see how big the audience is. You can't see whether it was the organisers of an event and there's no people there at all. Um, <laughs> they were just organising it. Cool, we've picked a place. <laughs> Woohoo! high five. You know, it, it's kind of, you know, versus if you've spoken in front of 7,000 people and there's a really cool photographer's taken a shot with all those heads blurred, but we can see it's you on the stage. Um, and you go, oh, wow, he's spoken to a big audience. Cool. And it's, you know, then it's kind of a no-brainer. So that's that's one way of using just that very, very highly visual area. But I can't tell you how many people leave, leave that as the default, which is like some sort of stars constellation map. <laughs> <laughs> it, looks, it looks like the galaxy on there, the, 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 default, the default background cover image, and it's like, what does that tell? That's not telling a story about anything. Anything, you know, and that's really, really great feedback for me. But I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I, the, um, the excuse that I'll use is that, oh yes, my, um, you know, as I, as a fledgling speaker, I had a whole mm. bunch of like paid speaking gigs, uh, right after the conference that yeah. were all that were all kibosh. So yeah. I'm gonna have like I've got a friend of mine who's a videographer who's gonna help me put together a sizzle reel. Very grateful. Cool. Big shout out to you, Jacques. And uh, but like because it we're in you know stage four lockdown in Melbourne, I'm mm. thinking about ways to try and do like a Truman show <laughs> to like have a stage set up to to get people in seats because like ha- like yeah. you know and that's a, that's a temporary challenge for me. But sure. if you're not a speaker, it sounds like the message is storytelling. Like, and we know how powerful that is. You're, you're a certified professional speaker with PSA Australia. Um, or PSA 
um, PSA, Professional Speakers Australia. And, you know, we are, we understand the importance of, of telling a story verbally, but also sounds like with social media as well. Yeah. I mean, you're doing, you're obviously doing a lot of podcasts at the moment. And, you know, I've noticed in the, the iTunes app that they're coming out about once a week and you told me, you know, a couple of days ago that you've got heaps in the pipeline. And, you know, I'd love to get a list of who they all are because I can only see the ones that you've released. But, you know, some of the people, um, you know, like Les Brown, I've listened to that one. And I, I just immediately in my head went, right, okay, so the background cover image on your LinkedIn should be lots of little heads, like almost like little TVs almost, a, a grid system of saying, you know, you know, your, be, become your own superhero podcast, guests have included, and then all these heads of all these super, super famous people will recognise them straight away heads. So then it's boom, credibility straight away that, oh, God, he had who he's spoken to Brene Brown. He's had Les, you know, Les on his on his um, podcast. Like just an immediate, like credibility wow factor moment versus your high fiving. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> the nicest possible way. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I I can take I can take the most brutal feedback with this stuff because I want to learn, and I think that's yeah. the key thing. You know, and I'm I'm mentoring two young girls, um, two young women. Mm-hmm. Uh, that are at Melbourne University doing marketing and comms. And I got involved with the mentoring program when I was still working a day job early this year. And yep. they are two of the most like wonderful students. They are so keen and, and interested in them, teaching them the power of storytelling. And we're at the moment we're working on their their sizzle reel or their their elevator pitch for when they're doing okay. like a job with a, applying for grad roles or whatever. And yep. and I've recommended them to jump on your LinkedIn profile because they're asking me questions about LinkedIn, and I and I realise now, having spoken to you about this, I'm coming from from the wrong angle with some of the stuff. I'm coming from a recruitment angle when mm-hmm. they really need to be selling selling their or telling their story. And but people might be saying, well, yeah, but Laban, you've got all these, you know, Les Brown and you know Wentley Phipps and John Yo and Dave Staunton and Vin Jang and Jillian Bullock and like, you know, <laughs> uh, like who can I use? What can I do? Like, what's a what's a good substitute for that kind of thing? Until they, you know, if they're not a speaker, if they just did marketing or comms, whatever. Yeah, well, it's it's, you know, if they're just doing communications, then is what are they communicating? Where it's kind of where they were before and the transformation that they bring to their clients. Where where do your clients walk away? What what do they walk away with? And then trying to communicate that visually, um, I find it I find it hard to do um, kind of hypotheticals. I like, I'd much prefer to go to somebody's profile and get a feel for what they've got to offer. But it's it's telling the story visually, and so that somebody gets a no brainer idea of exactly what you do from those visuals, and go, oh, okay, so they're a speaker. Oh, right, they've worked in with the, you know, the big four financial firms. Got it. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's that that sort of thing. I mean, even, even if it's a person walking along, you get an idea of their level of professionalism from even what they're wearing. Are they walking along literally with a T-shirt and jeans because that person's 
personal brand is very laid back and very casual and, and that sort of thing? Or are they walking along with an Amani suit on? You know, there's there's a lot of photographs that can be taken from virtually heaps and heaps of offices overlooking Sydney Harbour or the Melbourne whatevers <laughs> for Flinders Street Station or something like that. Um, and actually showing, I'm not sure, I haven't been in Melbourne for ages, sorry. Um, no, <laughs> back in my, true. I mean, I was there 11 years, but back in my day, Flinders <laughs> Street looked completely different. Um, <laughs> there was probably people there, unlike the yes, there. There was probably people there. <laughs> like I was, when I went to school, it was like the really old school trams. That, that was the main thing. I was there when the St Kilda line was still trains. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's saying something. Um, yeah, so it's it's communicating that brand. If you work with um, accountants and lawyers and all that sort of thing, don't get your photo done with a T-shirt. <laughs> you know, you've got to match the target market brand, the brands and their, their expectation of level of professionalism too. Um, it's just in, you know, from recruitment side, you know, don't put photos of you absolutely hammered <laughs> on Facebook because they'll be found. You know, you're going for an accounting assistant role and you've got your, the last 17 photos. Are you absolutely hammered? Like, it's not a good thing. <laughs> when will they learn that? I actually, um, um, my, my, my niece, sorry. Um, I disconnected from her and I said, I'm so sick of seeing you hammered or with wine or with beer in your hand every single photo. I don't know what your life is like apart from you getting pissed. So wow. I don't want to see it. So I disconnected from her on Facebook and I thought hopefully she'll take that feedback as well. <laughs> and being family will forgive me, but I just, I don't want to see it. Just don't, you know, doesn't, it's not a good look. Well, yeah, I, I totally empathise with that. And, and for people listening, Gillian has a team of gazelles, is what I'm going to refer to them, that, that, okay. that specialise in whipping your LinkedIn profile into an optimised best version of itself. Mm-hmm. And, and I would strongly recommend, even if you're starting out, like, the the information that Gillian shares, if you don't connect, if you had not connected to her on LinkedIn, connect with her. I'm sure she's open to accepting LinkedIn invites. Oh, or yes. <laughs> yes, I am. And the amazing content that you share has just been so invaluable. Just, you know, like I've still got a ways to go, obviously, but like mm. um, it's really been brilliant. So I would strongly recommend anyone that needs specialized help to get in contact with Gillian to, to get their LinkedIn profile sorted. And, and we can, We'll leave your details in the in the field in the boxes below at the end of the podcast. But I'm okay. I'm keen to explore what's next for Gillian Bullock. What's what's your five and ten year plan if you have one set in place? Um, I really don't have one, and that's because my eggs are in a basket that I have no control over. If I if I had chosen Squarespace <laughs> or Google Plus as the way to go. I would be absolutely rooted right now. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I would love to do a lot of things with LinkedIn, but I'm not anywhere near uh, influencing the head office. Um, I attend some of their webinars now and then to get information. But, um, yeah, I, unfortunately I can't, I can't plan. I, don't, I can't do a huge plan because of that. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I know that with my speaking career, for example, pretty much every talk I go and do is is around LinkedIn. But, you know, I have to keep changing my talk all the time because LinkedIn changes their freaking things all the time. Um, and I never get to really, you know, where there's a lot of keynote speakers, for example, and they're telling their story and they hone it over years and then they've got it down so well because you can't change your past and your story and what transformational thing you went through um, because it's the same story. <laughs> and they get they get to really become great speakers from that. And I feel like I always have to start again all the time. Like I can I can work on the presentation that I do and my projection and blah, blah, blah. But if I don't do the same talk for, say, four months or three months or something like that, because I'm doing workshops in between, but, I mean, just a talk, a talk, sometimes the screenshot that I had has to be altered because you can't, it doesn't look like that anymore. Or I give a particular piece of advice and then LinkedIn changes it and takes it from a square to a circle or they take that feature off altogether. So that, that, that part of it frustrates me, but then I guess it keeps it fresh as well. <laughs> So if you came to my talk three months ago, it's going to be different three months later kind of thing. But, yeah, it's it's very, very hard to plan. It's very well, hard let, to plan. Let's work on this, right? What would what would Gillian Bullock do if she wasn't doing keynotes on LinkedIn? What would you be talking about? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think um, you probably do know. But we just need uh, to scratch a little deeper. And- scratch a little deeper. What do you what do you love? What's what because the thing the thing I think about with you, Gillian, is like the reason mm-hmm. you're doing what you're doing is because you love helping people, right? For sure. That 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 would be a fundamental in any sort of gift giving you know career path that you're doing. So what where else could you could you inspire people? What what else could you inspire people with? You're obviously a really great communicator. You know, yeah. you're around people that are that are motivational speakers. What could you add? What could you do? Um, I don't, I don't know if this is, you know, I really haven't thought about it that deeply because I'm sort of waiting for it to just (laughs) turn around and land in my lap and have the epiphany, um, which I haven't kind of had, but I think it's possibly, you know, what we were talking about. And I was mentioning that your, my upbringing sound like there's a lot of synergy with it or a little bit of crossover parallel, whatever you like to say. And it's, possibly around that because the upbringing that I had um, was witnessed or being subjected to a fair bit of violence and I was so determined for that you know they, they say that it's hereditary and it goes from you know parents to the child and then the child never gets over it and they become the parent and then they pass it down and blah 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 and I was so determined not to do that um and haven't done that. I mean, they're, they're 12 and twelve and 9. I tell them never say never, but... <laughs> but um, because <laughs> um, they're like, you know, you've never smacked us, Mum, because we saw a, a father smacking their kids the other day in the car. He waited until they got in and then smacked him in the car. It's like, like the, the windows are still clear, mate. 
Um, and they asked me and I said, I'm just waiting. <laughs> I'm not saying I won't, but <laughs> you need to have done something bad enough for me to smack you, mate. And this is my nine-year-old. And he said, like what? And I said, for a start, something illegal. <laughs> <laughs> if you do something illegal, then we won't, that all bets are off with smacking. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't smacking in my household. It was, you know, iron bars and so forth. So, wow. um, yeah, it, and I just, I just was so determined that that was not going to be part of my legacy. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm passing down. So it's probably a talk, something along those lines, something along those lines. So. Well, my, just as my mind sort of ticking over, like the, the a question that I was asked relatively recently was what, what's going to be my legacy? Mm. And, and, and I'll ask you the same question, you know, what is going to be your legacy? What are you going to be remembered for? Because if you, if you drop dead right now, heaven forbid, mm-hmm. heaven forbid, <laughs> it'd yep. be this extraordinary LinkedIn guru. You know, yeah. if, if people that aren't directly you know, related to you already super duper close to you that you've, that you've, yeah. you know, haven't been allowed to the inner sanctum. And, and that's something that I think is a really powerful thing to, to, to ruminate on for a little bit because I was like, do you know what? Having gone through, you know, and people that have been living, listening to my, some of my previous podcasts, I talk about it in some and some that I don't, you know, growing up the child of divorce and the dysfunction that that had, on me that led to a lot of escapism behavior that as I mm-hmm. grew into an adult manifested itself into adult escapism behaviors in the form of drinking, gambling, drug use, philandering, and a lot of negative self-talk and limiting beliefs. Yeah. And as I've slowly sort of progressed through and been able to address a lot of those demons, the more empowered I feel, the more now I feel like it's my obligation to share this with other people to empower them, which is where the name for the show become your own superhero sort of evolved from. And so maybe you're not at that point just yet, but I feel like there's almost an an obligatory response that, that triggers maybe that epiphanous moment that you, that you're hoping will happen because what, what you went through and we haven't, we haven't discussed, discussed it at great length at all. Yeah. And that's up to you to want to share that at your own pace. Yeah. But there'll be a prolific number of other people that will identify with it and will mm-hmm. say, thank you, God, Allah, Buddha, Jesus, whatever you believe in, <laughs> that yeah. Gillian had the courage to say that. And that's where this power of owning our experiences really, really uh, transpires from my mind. It's no yeah. longer about me even though I talk about my own experience a lot, it's about being able to inspire yeah. someone else to go, do you know what? I'm going to break that cycle of bullshit that's going on in my family and I'm going to do it by leading by example. And mm. that, and th- you know, that compounding interest effect, the more people that we can get doing that, you know, yeah. the, eventually the world will, you know, get to a place where it's a lot more functional and a lot more productive. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, I'm going to be a bit of an imposter syndrome talk at the sec in this minute, but I'm sure there's a lot of other people that have some sort of methodology and something around this, which is, 
you know, and it's almost <laughs> was was brought to life in the the cartoon Inside Out with those, you know, little five characters in the little girl's mind. Um, but I had an awareness that I had an inner voice um, quite early on. And I try and my legacy, I think, is at this point in time is not from the stage. It's just talking to my two boys. That's that's who really only ever hears that talk from me. But my little one is very negative. Um, he has he's he's a huge extrovert with no self-esteem. Um, and he's kind of having conniptions right now because he has to do a speech this week. And if he's good, he'll get chosen to speak in front of the school, which is 800 kids, and he'd rather die. Um, yet he'll get in front of the camera. Every time there's a camera up, he's in front of the camera doing the floss or something, right? So there's this it's a very different thing happening in each side of, you know, how he, he actually deals with his extrovert nature. Um, and I, I try and get through to him especially, but the older one's always around for this talk anyway, um, that you have thoughts and feelings, but you are not your thoughts and feelings. He doesn't want to get up on stage, but he wants to do the assignment. And I'm trying to get through to him with going, okay, you, you, I know you're scared, but, I mean, there's a book in my bookcase and I swear to God I haven't even read it. It's just the title that says feel, feel, feel the fear and do it anyway. And I've never needed to open the damn book because <laughs> that title has just in, infiltrated so much of my life. You know, that will have me jump into the sharks, right? Um, but it's kind of the same thing. I'm saying to him, you know, I know you're fearful, but fearful and excitement is actually the same, you know, physiological thing that goes through your body, which is hard to say that word to a nine-year-old, uh, even for me. <laughs> in my 40s, I can't say that word very well. Um, but to for him to actually understand that all that self-talk and negative talk that's holding him back is separate from his desires and what he actually wants to achieve. And in a way, beyond schoolwork, all of that stuff, um, you know, and doing your assignments on time and getting A's and all that in a way bullshit because how many people in life really, the big ones in the world, finish school? So many of them dropped out. Right? But the school of life in a way that I want him to get is that if he can move past his fear, he will win at life. If he can just know that that fear is different and I think the first time that occurred to me was I was about 15 and the particular boyfriend that my mum had at the time, now my mum was very violent, um, but this boyfriend was more so. And he had held me down on the ground by my hair and kicked me um, in front of my mum. And she, because she was behind him, she said it didn't ever happen, which also, you know, Talk about living in a house where you have no supporters. Probably why I put up with my husband for so long because I'd already had that. Um, <laughs> and and my, by the way, my husband couldn't be further from that at all. Right? But um, he had held me down and I went into my room and I grabbed, I had my, my mother's dressmaking scissors, which are quite long and quite sharp. And there was two things I was going to do. I was either going to cut my entire hair off because it was like I am not being controlled by my hair anymore. It was like the way he controlled me heaps of times. And the other one, it's either that's going to go on my head 
or my wrist is going to go. And I was going to just put the scissors straight across my wrist. Um, and it was one or the other. And all of a sudden, I felt that I was not in the room by myself. And I felt like that was the first time that I, I felt stroke saw my, guard, my own guardian angel. And they came to me and said, you're not alone and this too shall pass. And he stopped, I know it's a him, it's a, it's a masculine energy, but he stopped me from doing either. And then that quietness and, you know, the yelling and the screaming was still going on, but it was completely silent in the room. And it was the inner voice all of a sudden talking to this other entity in the room, having their conversation about me. And it was like, she's fearful, but she'll get through this. This will be a pivotal moment in her life. And it was. It was wow. a pivotal moment. Because my when I moved to Sydney, um, that, that's another funny story. I'll just go through that one real quick. Because we moved, we moved to Melbourne when my parents split up. And my dad and mum fought all the time, all the time. And I didn't realise that, you know how it takes two to tango, as they say? Mm -hmm. It freaking doesn't. <laughs> I got to know who my father was when they split up. He was the most gentle, gentle soul in the world. I never had another fight with him ever after, like, we moved, we all moved to Melbourne. Uh, dad stayed in Sydney. And... <laughs> when I was 19, I decided, like, I just bought my car two months ago and I thought, that's it, I'm going. <laughs> There's nothing else holding me in Melbourne. I'm done. And so I said to my mum after uh, New Year's parties and that sort of thing, it was 9th of November, 2000, uh, 1993. <laughs> and I said to my mum, after New Year's, I'm going to move up with my dad, defer uni for a year and just see what it's like living with him and she said if you're going to go go now right now so I went okay but I don't have to be asked twice <laughs> cool so I went into my room started packing up but she's standing at the door saying you can't take that and I'm like but it's my dress what are you talking about I bought you that dress I paid for it I'm keeping it so then it became who bought what and stuff and I left three quarters of my wardrobe there everything and shoes because I didn't technically pay for them. And I thought, yeah, good luck wearing my shoes. I'm a size seven. Your hoofers are nine and a half. But, yeah, go for it. <laughs> so so I, I got in the car, um, stayed at a girlfriend's one night because I wanted to try and do it in only one day. This is before there was the freeway just all the way up. This is drop, stopping at all the towns, right? And I got to the big marina, you know, in Goulburn, where there's that massive, massive sheep and it's a servo. I haven't been I there, but I know, the, I know the sheep very yeah. well, yeah. But yeah, the, the big sheep, big merino, right, and it's a petrol station underneath. And I got in there and I thought, shit, I better ring my dad and tell him I'm moving in. <laughs> so I got all the way up and I rang Dad and I went, Dad, do you know how you said if ever I want to come up that there's always a room for me, there's always a room? And um, he goes, yeah, and I went, I'm in the big merino. And he said, have you told your mother? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway but when I arrived um I met a neighbor um at the house and we started going out and we moved in together for a little while and that sort of thing and it was a pretty quick relationship but it was very familiar to this boyfriend of my mother's 
and there was always the threats and if you don't say that or if you don't do that, I'm going to hit you and smash your face in. Da, 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 da. And we ended up moving back out and we were still neighbours, friends-ish, but not really. And he said it again. I just, I just dared him. I was like, stop bloody threatening me and never doing it. If you're going to hit me, hit me. Well, he did. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on, dare you, kind of thing. But it was like in massive anger right at the time. I can tell the story in jokes, but I can't, you know. <laughs> anyway, so he did. And, and it was, that was my moment. That was Jesus Christ. It happened to my mum from her father, happened from my mum to me and the boyfriend to me, and now it's happening to me. And I went, that's it. It's not, it's not happening. And I managed to get away from him and I pulled a door in between him and I, which was a laundry door, and the back door was behind me. So I had an exit route. My frigging dog was on the other side of the door. So I'd left my dog on the monstrous side. So I had to open it again. So I opened it again. He's a little foxy cross chihuahua at the time. <laughs> And um could have been in your handbag. <laughs> uh, yes, he should have, except I wasn't Paris Hilton. But anyway. <laughs> um and yeah, so I had to open it and he'd had time to regroup. So then it was on. He was going to absolutely pulverize me. I knew that look. I knew the look of a man pissed off that's going to smash your face in. And I, I something snapped and it was like, no, this is not going to, this is where it stops. This is absolutely where it stops. And I don't know, it was, again, I feel like my guardian angel kind of came into my body almost and him and I, as in my dude on my side, picked that man up by his collar and his belt and I slammed him so hard into the wall behind that he actually went through the plaster and got his shoulder. (laughs) I'm 19. I'm 19 and we just, I say we because I just felt it was the guardian angel with me right then and there and just we had enough. We had enough and he just went through that wall and the look of stun on his face, the dog had taken off out the back so I knew he'd already exited and I thought that's it, that's it, this is the last day this ever happens to me ever. And, yeah, we left and I went back home and my face was all bloody and all that sort of thing. And my dad said, what the hell happened here? Because he never swore. I'm like me. Um, and I thought my dad was going to go down there and smash him and stuff. My dad doesn't have a violent bone in his body. And apparently he said, what the hell did you say to piss her off that much that it caused a hole in the wall? <laughs> and he didn't say that he'd done that to my face. Apparently I'd punched myself or fallen over or something, as you do. Walked into a wall, instead. God. Yeah, so, and that was, yeah, that was pretty much the last day that anybody ever hits me, (laughs) ever, to this day, and it won't happen. So, because I'm a ninja. (laughs) I knew knew there was a reason why I wore, for those who are listening, I'm wearing a ninja (laughs) headband. You are. And there's a reason why, because you are not just a LinkedIn ninja, Mm. I, this is unbelievable. I, if you'd given me a thousand different options for how this conversation would have gone, that wouldn't have been in there. <laughs> yeah, and the only the only other time he's come back, my my angel, if you like, is there's been two times. One is the birth of my first son, um, so I know 
from your podcast that you're giving it a crack at the moment. Yes, we uh, are. If your, wife, <laughs> if your wife is nervous about giving birth, especially with her first child, I would highly recommend hypnobirthing. Oh. Um, because I was given the tools to actually hypnotise myself during the birth. And my son was born in water and very, very relaxed. Um, he was posterior, which means he was not, he was twisted the wrong way. Uh, still head first, but he was the backwards, Yeah. <laughs> um, which apparently is a very painful birth. I wouldn't know because I hypnotized myself apparently for two or three hours at a time, unbeknownst to me. I thought it was about 10 minutes. Really? Um, but, but he was in the room. He was in the room saying, you can do this and all that sort of stuff. Um, he came to me then and 6th of January this year, my father passed away. My angel on the earth passed away. And um, the morning after, um, um, something happened to me that told me to go for a walk. And I felt like my dad was one side and he was the other. And we went for about a 20-minute walk like that. It's amazing. Thank you for sharing you this, go. by the way. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for sharing that. I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> I don't think it matters what the question was. Oh, um, God. Yeah. Do you, are, you, are you spiritual or religious in any capacity that you identify with, Gillian? Oh, look, I grew up Anglican and then went to a Catholic high school and, and <laughs> bucked the system the whole way through. Uh, you, I, I, I like buddhist ways of thinking um but on a daily basis no not really anything i'm sort of more curious to to think about what your explanation of your guardian angel where where it's come from or why it's even there um i really i really don't know i from having it come to me i do believe everybody has one Um, it's not yeah i don't feel like it's based on religion but i do I, I do believe everybody has one, but there is something there's something going on with me that I think if I explored it one day that I could tap into it because I, I actually predicted four family deaths. Um, yeah, like my dad um, on the he, I was due to go and see him on, on the Monday, which was the 6th. And I was at home on the Saturday with the boys and it was like I just jolted upright because he'd actually lost consciousness on the Friday and he, he wasn't waking and he was in and out of consciousness and the nursing home was ringing me, you know, probably every two hours or so or I'd ring them if I wasn't hearing anything. So he wasn't drinking, wasn't eating, wasn't, didn't have consciousness. I mean, he's 88, by the way. Um, and on the Saturday, I just got real quiet, real, real quiet. And I said to my boys, um, because my husband was at work, and I said, we got to go right now. we got to go. And they know when to take me seriously. Um, Otherwise, they're, you know, it's like herding cats, getting them out of the house. Um, But they knew that I was serious. And so we went to the nursing home and I walked past Dad's room expecting him to be unconscious, which is what they'd been telling me, and his eyes are fully awake, fully awake. And I went, hi, Dad. Now, this is someone who had 50, maybe more percent of the time, didn't know who I was in the last four months. And he goes, oh, 
and he could barely speak at this because he'd, he'd lost his voice for about six months as well. So I was very used to having one-sided conversations <laughs> that were yes and no answers where I got a grunt or a, you know, if he knew what the hell, even if I was in the right room. Yeah. Because um, he asked me a few times, like, do I know you? Are you in the right room? Which, of course, is bloody devastating. God. But anyway, that was four years going through that shit, I can tell you. Um, but he was completely awake and I was talking about memories from our childhood and he would laugh at the right time and when I called him father, which is a very, very old joke um, from a plaque that I bought him in America that said there was two paragraphs but the second one was, although at times I've been a bother, a guiding light has been my father and it doesn't make sense without an American <laughs> accent. <laughs> so although at times I've been a bother, a guiding light has been my father and then it makes sense, <laughs> right? So, so we thank you. Um, probably not, but anyway. So we always went bother and father. So I've been calling him father since I was like eight. <laughs> and um, so I said, you know, I said father and he giggled and I also had this thing with that he had to choose between my brother and I, which was his favourite child. And he had to say it, and he never did, of course. And then that became like a family joke. And I said that, and he laughed his head off. And he knew exactly everything. And I had 50 minutes with him until his eyes started to close again. And that was it for the weekend. That was the only time he was awake, according to the nursing staff. But I knew I had to go right then to go and see him. So, you know, just to finish off that part of the story, it was also... You know, I said to him, have you seen your mum and dad, which I've heard when people are just about to pass, they do see their parents. Um, and he had, and he was so surprised that I knew that. I asked him to look after my boys. I said to him, you know, if you need to go, it's time, I'll be okay. It was such a hard conversation to have. But, but the the best way to say goodbye to somebody the best way talk about no regrets for stuff 50 minutes of actually saying goodbye to somebody who you love more than anything just brilliant and I got in the car and I rang my husband and I said he's gonna pass on Monday and he did and he did and I recognized that with my un uh, two uncles and my husband's father, who I only knew for 10 months when we started going out, I said he had a stroke and he was in hospital. And I said to Stan, I said, I don't think you're going to see him again. And I'd only been going out with him for 10 months. And I walked back in there when we were walking down to go to the car park. I said, I'll just be back in a sec. They thought I'd gone to the toilet. And I went back to see this man and I said, I will look after your son. I don't know why I said that. I don't know why. And he was dead in about three days. And so there's something there. I just don't know what that is. Um, but I, it's very comforting. It's very comforting to have that kind of ESP, whatever that is. Um, I don't know, medium. <laughs> I can't talk to dead people. But um, but it's, it's yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm happy I got it because I don't really know anybody else that does. So, But to know to go and visit your dad before they pass, you know, amazing. Well, I, amazing. I'm going to ring my father and tell him I love him straight after this podcast <laughs> because yes. 
you know, like as sad as sad as that that story is, and again, and I'll say thank you so much for sharing that with us because, you know, what what's important in life? What what is important in life? And yeah. and you know, particularly with what's going on right now, and I know this might not age very well with regards to COVID and whatever, but sure. you know, th- those relationships, you had you had that opportunity to get that closure which a lot of people don't get, you know. Absolutely, people don't get it, no. And And I I was saying the very last words when I saw my dad for probably a year, maybe two, was that I loved him. The last words every time I left the nursing home, whether he knew who I was or not, because closure is about you. It's not like he, I don't know what he remembers and if he remembers and where he goes and <laughs> if he's been reincarnated, I don't know any of that stuff. I don't, you know, I don't, as, as you ask me what religion and it's like I don't really have one so I don't know what happens. But I think closure is the person that's left behind to a degree. And if he remembered, I mean, he didn't remember who I was half the time so I don't know if he remembered I love you. Um. You know, like he thought my brother was the bingo caller for years. My had my brother hadn't visited him for three years. And I never shattered that illusion for him because it gave him so much comfort. Yeah. Um, but I think I, you know, you don't know when anybody's going to go and leave and it's it's a little bit easier to predict when they're in a nursing home and, you know, decreasing in front of your eyes. Um, than them having a car accident or something, obviously. But just that, because Dad and I were not like that. It was not like I love you every five minutes because, um, you know, my mum was I love you, whack. <laughs> so it really had no meaning to me at all. But I just wanted that to be the last thing I said just in case Then the next time I didn't see him. But um, I didn't even have that thought of, you know, oh, I've predicted a few deaths in the past. I'll probably predict my dad's. I just didn't think that that was going to be, be a thing. So I don't know. There's, a, I guess there's a few topics there that I could have to talk about in a keynote. But, you know, yeah, without crying on stage, I don't know if I can. <laughs> well, I rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. And I think, you know, <laughs> as, as you become... Well, as you become more com- comfortable sharing these stories, the the emotion mm. will still be there, but your your ability to control it, um, you know, not that I'd ever encourage you to stifle any emotional release because uh, you know it's so great that you're able to share this so be so vulnerable and so open with us because it, it's it will help a lot of people. It helps me, helps me. Cool. Uh, so yeah. I was getting shivers Don't call down my and 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 I'm freaking out too because I'm wearing red, like in the sixth sense. When everyone's dead, they're wearing red, which I had to have explained to me even after I watched it twice. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't. Well, yeah, I, I I I watch movies and my brain just switches off and I just go. Duh. Oh, okay. so, <laughs> I think uh, I think this is a good place to to wrap things up, Julian. But before oh. we do, we've taken uh-huh. the listener on an emotional ro- roller coaster. And mm. and a really really interesting one. What's something that you want to finish on that you want to share with the world before we go? <laughs> oh God, um, I don't know what's coming into my head right now, which is probably not a good one. Is my dad wanted on his coffin? Um, it's not the cat cough that carries you off; it's the coffin they carry you off in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't 
know why I want to do that, especially with the cough during COVID. <laughs> um, I hope that's on his gravestone, by the way. <laughs> no, he was cremated. But, you know, here's, here's one. This ring has his ashes in it. Wow. Yeah, How'd you do I that? Um, there's a place in Melbourne, actually, which is um, Memorial Glass. And they put a very small amount of ashes in something that you want. But all I have to do is turn that ring around and I can put it straight on my heart and start talking to my dad. Um, I don't think I'll ever take this ring off. Um, wow. So that's one thing. But, no, um, I think I think probably the, 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 the last message, if you like, apart from take my, my, my takeaway, um, is kind of I think never lose sense, sense of humour. If you don't have one, go and find one. <laughs> you need a sense of humour <laughs> to get through shit in your life. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you can buy one from somewhere. Um, but <laughs> but um, I think also that there is a sense of just never giving up. Like, and even if there's people close to you that, that, that are your biggest naysayers or whatever, find, find other comfort in other things around you and assess whether you want to get out of that relationship or not but also just hold true it will have jesus try not to take 18 years for it to happen (laughs) to you but there's some things that you you think you've been pushed to the limit whether that is a childhood trauma or you know birth (laughs) or whatever and you just have no idea how much more you've got in you you just you just have no no idea and i think you know the birth of my child, my first one, was not was not that hard in a way. Um, but the two and a half years after with that little bugger who would not go to sleep um, and I breastfed him for 21 months, <laughs> even going in hospital a couple of times and just be sitting there on a, on a bloody breast pump because everybody else in the family was like, I'll give up, you've given it a good go, seven months, you know. Blah. I'm like, no, that's not enough. I'm going to keep going. And just do whatever it takes, do whatever it takes and and kind of keep asking for the thing you need to do whatever it takes. And then if you're only just scraping through with money on your business, that's okay. It's called scraping through. And if that's really, really what you want to do, you will find a way, you will find the resources, you will, if you think you've reached your limit, I bet you haven't. I bet you you haven't. I, I haven't, with all the crap I've been through with my life, I still not have been tested to the best of, biggest part of my ability. And I know that. I know that there's still more in there. I've just never been pushed to the point of crisis where it comes out. Because you know how you have to, sometimes you have to be in the bloody middle of September 11 to know that you can save other people's lives. Because in your daily life, you don't need to save other people's lives. Um I think everybody's got that in them if they're willing to allow it to happen and do it when you're in the face of crisis. So, yeah, I think we're, I think the human race has more to give than what there is there. Definitely. Ladies and gentlemen, Gillian Bullock. <laughs> it's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel 
or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.